if there's one word that can define the book of Galatians, it is grace with nothing extra, nothing more to add but pure grace. And so last week we had a, we had a, a key verse that I'm going to read tonight to you again. And it comes from Galatians chapter 1. It's, it's near the beginning of his letter that he wrote to this church. And, and this, church, this letter is, Paul's a little bit annoyed in this letter. And he says to them, I'm astonished, I'm shocked that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. There's a, I didn't know there was two gospels. Well, yes, there's like a different gospel which is no, not really any gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. And what we had a look at last week is the fact that after Paul started these churches and he told them about the grace of God in Christ Jesus, God's unlimited forgiveness for you, no additives, these Jewish Christians came in behind Paul and said, if you want to upgrade your Christianity and be like super spiro like us, then there's a few things you need to add to grace, to be super spiritual. You need to do things like get circumcised. That slashed the church size in half, or the men left. Um, you need to do all these things, eat the right food. You need to do a bit more. You need to jump a bit harder. You need to add some additives to grace for you to truly be spiritual like us. And Paul was cutting across this letter saying, no, not at all. You see, we, we used the example last week about cherries. Does anyone remember that? Did anyone eat cherries during the week? Maybe Christmas time. Um, I grew up thinking glazed cherries were real cherries. Um, but my life was transformed in an instant when I had my first beautiful, real, fresh, juicy cherry. You see, glazed cherries have all kinds of additives in them. First, all the fruit and the goodness is bleached out of them. But then there's all these additives and sugar and syrup that basically change what was a pure cherry into something completely different that doesn't represent the truth of what the original cherry was. And this is a picture of what Paul was coming against. See, these Jews, these Jewish Christians were saying, no, 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 you need to add things. You need to add things to the gospel. But when we add things to the gospel, literally, it's not the gospel anymore. And we said last week, when the gospel isn't good news, it's not the gospel at all. Because gospel literally means good news. And when the gospel is no longer good news, it's no longer the gospel. The gospel was no longer the gospel when the Jews said you need to be circumcised. That's not good news. That's really bad news. Especially, if, yes. Um, <laughs> and so tonight what we want to do is flip a few chapters and have a look at chapter 3, mainly from the book, from this letter. And... The idea tonight is that we're having a, a look at law versus grace. Law or Old Testament law, the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind and all your soul and have no other gods in place. Uh, don't commit adultery. One thing we forget is don't covet. What is covet? Closet? Covet? It's like being jealous of what other people have. Don't we do that a lot in our lives? Thou shalt not murder. Hopefully there's not too much of that going on right here. Um, but there's the Ten Commandments and then there's the, also the, the Jewish law where they had to do all these rituals to climb closer to God. So that's what we mean when we sum it up all into the law. Things we do to work towards being accepted by God versus grace, what Jesus has done for us. And so we're going to have a look at Galatians chapter 3, 
read through verses 1 to 3 and have a bit of a look at it. And Paul begins his third chapter. He's going hardcore. He says, Oh foolish Galatians. I bet you're feeling good. Oh foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? <clears throat> Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit or was your life transformed by obeying the law of Moses, by climbing a bit higher on the ladder? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed or had faith in the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, eating real cherries, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? They started well. But they shrunk back, they slipped back into thinking life is all about what I can do for God rather than what He's already done for me. If we go back to this first verse, verse 1, where it says, Who has cast an evil spell on you? Really what the, the thought around that is, who has turned, who's turning an evil eye on you? In other words, you know the eye of judgment that you get sometimes? Or you might give sometimes? You know the eye? Maybe someone's cut you off on traffic and you just... trying to give them an evil eye. I don't know what it achieves, but it makes me feel better. Um, you know, the evil eye. You know when you go to a cafe and during corona, right? And you're sitting there, and it, the pollen, pollen um, count might be a bit higher that day, and you've got a few allergies, a bit of hay fever. You're like, you're just like, bit of a sniffle. It's like people are like looking at you. They give you an evil eye. And then this sneeze begins to build up. You're like, oh, oh no. Oh, no. And you're, and you're looking around for a napkin. You want to blow my nose. Oh, and you feel it coming home. And then you have to shove. I don't know if you do it, but you, And you look up and the whole cafe is like, oh, get out of here. Take your corona with you. You get the evil eye. You know, we don't want to be a church that gives the evil eye to people, that judges people because of how they behave or what they look like or what kind of life they might have had. We, we want to be a church that doesn't do that but welcomes anyone to come into church with us here today. And so Paul says, after starting so well, why are you now becoming perfect by doing it on your own human effort? See, in one moment, they started off with delight. Wow, thank you, God. I've been forgiven. It's the delight of my life now to, uh, I want to follow you. I, I want to be, I, I want to go to church. I want to serve. I, I want to love you. I want to express my worship to you. I want to serve other people. I want to I give because I want to be part of what you're doing here. It's out of delight. But he's like, why have you slipped back into duty? Oh, I have to. Oh, who wants to live by duty? No, thank you. The life gets sucked out of it. People had fallen from delight into duty and in one moment, they were trusting in God. They were going, God, I, I trust in you. I trust what you have done for me. But we can so easily slip back into trying rather than trust. I've got to try and maintain my level of acceptance by God by ticking all the box, boxes, by trying harder, jumping high, higher. And Paul says, who has bewitched you? Who's cast a spell on you? Who made you feel so bad about yourself that you thought, oh, I better start getting my act together and add things back onto grace. Um, maybe they were intimidated into this by these people who called themselves 
holy, extra holy Christians. Um, I remember when I didn't do it right, I remember I was sitting in a cubicle in a toilet and these two women walked into the toilet and I thought, what are they doing in the men's toilet? Oh, no. I was in the wrong toilet and, and I wasn't doing it right. And I had to make a, a quick exit out of that place. You, you know when you feel like you're not doing it right? You just want to get out of there. No one wants to feel like they're doing it wrong around a group of people. I, I don't want to hang out with people if I feel judged or I, I don't look right or if they really knew what was going on behind the scenes. That When you've got that feeling, all you want to do is get out of there. And that's why people might feel like they want to need to leave the church or maybe they need to run out of a relationship with God because they feel like there's an evil eye turned on them, judging them. And when you, when you don't feel like you're making it and you're cutting it after a while, you just want to throw the whole thing away and get out of there. But this is opposite. This is not the heart of God. And this is why Paul wrote this letter to the Galatians. And so, so what then is the purpose of the law? If, if the law can't cure us, if we can't ultimately obey the law perfectly, what, what is the use of the law in the first place? And that's what we're going to have a look at here. And there's an answer of why God created or made the law. I'll just have a sip. The reason that God had the law is because he wanted to create frustration that we couldn't make it ourselves. He wanted to create frustration in you and I where we give up. And we know it is impossible. I can never make it myself. The law is actually something, ironically, that actually leads us to Jesus. It leads us to Christ. It actually corners us. The law is someone who is something that corners us where we've got no option but to actually run to Jesus as the only solution in our life. The law acts a bit like a mirror to show us, one, to diagnose the issue, to show us how sinful we actually are. The other day I got home and had a look in the mirror and I realised that my friends neglected to tell me about a big white pimple that was on my face. And I was disappointed. And so this thing was just nice and bright and shiny and I, and, and I saw it in the mirror and I had to pop it. I had to deal with it. And, and the law acts a little bit like a mirror and shows us what is wrong with our lives, what is wrong with our hearts, not so we can be condemned, but so we can look in the mirror and come up with a solution. The law is a little bit like a doctor. You know those times when you, you suspect there's something wrong with you? I'm a bit sick. Maybe there's something over here or for a few days. You're not quite sure. You know, the world is in this place where they know that there's a sickness in humanity. There's something not right with me and the world. And, and, but when you go to the law, when you go to the doctor, then the doctor can diagnose you. And the doctor can go, you've got, this is wrong with you. You need, you need some rest. Um, you need an operation. You need this medication. You need a healthier lifestyle. Whatever it is. Once you come to a doctor and the doctor... Um, can diagnose you, then the prescription or then the help and the remedy can come. And this is exactly what the law does. It leads us to a place where the law convicts us of our sin, the law diagnoses the problem, but then the law leads us to the place where our only hope is Jesus. Where Jesus is the only one that can forgive us and deal 
with our sin and our failure in our lives. Romans chapter 5, verse 20, it says, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But this is the phenomenal thing. And this isn't me writing this. this is, these are God's own words. But as people sin more and more, God's wonderful grace became even more abundant. It's like, that's scandalous. Well, it's true. I didn't make it up. The law was given so that all people could see how sinful they are and leads us to the point of Jesus. And so that rather than running out of the building like I did, that we instead of running away when we feel the evil eyes on us, that we instead we run to Jesus. We run to the only one that could deal with our sin and with the lostness of our heart. Um, There's actually a a really good... um, picture that gives us the difference between the law of gravity and then the law of grace. So the law of gravity exists. Okay, ready? I'll try and escape it. No, it didn't work. Um, Gravity exists. It's a law that exists. No matter what you do, you cannot break it. And the law of God is, is like a law. It exists. There's nothing we can do to escape it. But then comes the law of lift. Does anyone know about the law of lift? So the law of lift is, is what is required in order to lift these jumbo jets that are hundreds of tons heavy. Have you ever been amazed when you're flying in a plane and you think, this is beyond, it's unbelievable that this huge plane is flying through the air. It, 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 shouldn't, it shouldn't be coming off the ground. But there's a law that supersedes the law of gravity, and that's the law of lift. And the, the Wright brothers, when they invented the plane, they understood that because of the shape of the wind and, and the flow of air over the wind, the law of lift actually, it doesn't nullify the law of gravity, but it supersedes. It's a higher law that lifts a plane out of the hold of the pull of gravity to the point where that plane is able to fly high in the air. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 2, it shows us Two laws and how one supersedes the other. In Romans chapter 8, verse 2, it says, Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. The law of the Spirit has lifted you out of the law of sin and death. And what is the law of sin and death? Well, in Romans 8, verse 2, it says, The wages of sin is death. The, the law is, if, if you break God's law, then there's a payment. There's a bill to be paid. And the wages of, of sin is, is death, is separation from God in eternity. There's a spiritual death and separation, but also when we die, we'll be separated from God forever. But, and this is the good news, but then the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so when we see Romans chapter 8 with the preceding verse from Romans chapter 2, 8 verse 2, it says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So for you and I here, we can be free from the hold of gravity through the power of lift. 
For you and I here, we can be free from the law that condemns us. And through the Spirit, through God's forgiveness and what He's done for us, we can be free. And so what I want to do the rest of tonight is use an acrostic word. I think that's the word for it. Acrostic word? Grace. G-R-A-C-E. And I want to do this just to, to show us what grace is. Um, and, and do this. This is kind of stolen from Rick Warren, the pastor of Saddleback Church in the United States. But I absolutely loved it. And I wanted to go over this ourselves. And so number one, G, grace is a gift. Grace is a gift. You cannot earn it at all. And Jesus' gift, God's gift was his very own life through his son. He gave his life as a gift for you and I. Um, the other day I was at a, um, at a cafe and I went to pay the bill that I owed. And I went to pay the bill and, and the cafe worker said to me, oh, don't worry, someone's already paid it for you. It's like, what? Oh, it, it almost didn't feel right. It's like, oh, but, I, I, okay. Well, um, maybe I should have brought my family along as well, if I had have known that. <laughs> it's, a, it's a free gift that God has given us. God has paid the bill that we owed because of our sin. God has paid the bill. God has given his son and his life that we wouldn't have to pay the bill of our life. The wages of sin being death. Um, the second letter is R. Grace is received by faith. Grace is received by faith. And you know, faith is a bit different to a belief. You can have a belief in something, but it's different to having faith in something. When you have faith in something, it's like you, you trust that thing. It's like you can believe the chair is there, but it's not until you sit in it that your faith becomes active. It's, it's a trusting in something. And so faith is received, so grace is received by faith. Christianity isn't just a belief system. Even the devil believes in grace, but he, but he hasn't trusted in grace. And right now you're asking deep theological questions, aren't you? Well, what if he did? You don't have to understand how it all works, all the ins and outs, but it's a step of faith where we receive this free gift of God's forgiveness. Um, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 to 9 it says for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith and you can't take credit for this it is a gift from God salvation is not a reward for the good things that we've done so none of us can boast about it grace is a gift given to us there's no room to boast at all you know I remember when Jess and I were in Nepal and it took us jumping off the edge of the mountain to experience the benefit of being taken up into the air by a paraglider. Um, it, it wasn't before that step, but it was after and as we took that step of faith that we experienced the benefit of that, that we were lifted high into the sky. You know, there's only so much reason that we go through. You know, faith can be based on good evidence, but there was enough evidence there. We're like, okay, the... the looks like the ropes are connected okay. It looks like the guy knows what he's doing. There's enough evidence, but at the end of the day, it takes a step of faith to actually be taken off and up into the air on the edge of the mountain. Um, for some of us here, I don't know where you're at in terms of your faith journey with God. Maybe you've seen some evidence. You see the, the change in, in people's lives around you. Maybe you've seen God at work in your life, but yet there's still a, faith, a step of faith to be taken. And as, as you take that step of faith, 
and begin to receive by faith this grace that God wants to give you, that you will experience the benefits. You experience God's peace. You experience his forgiveness in your life. G-R-A-A, grace is available. Grace is available to everyone. You know, again, I want to say as a church, let us be a church that never casts that evil eye on someone. Then you. Have you had that conversation with people? I remember going to quite a traditional church many years ago and the the atmosphere of that place was if someone new walked in that looked a bit different or maybe a bit not like the rest of us, then they'd be slightly... It's like, oh, we don't want that here. You know, people whispering, did you see a guy smoking a cigarette outside? It's like, come on, people. (laughs) And I love the fact that we are. That we're a church that welcomes everyone to come here. Obviously, we have some boundaries in terms of we we, we want people to, anyone is welcome here, as long as that person doesn't cause harm to someone else here, or um, especially we want to create a safe environment for, for our kids here. But short of that, anyone is welcome here no matter who you are, where you're from or what you've done in your life. The grace is available to everyone. You know, the church doesn't exist just just for church people, but the church exists for people who haven't been here yet so they can encounter the grace of God in their life as well. And then C, G-R-A-C. Grace can only be received and found in Christ. Grace is only received through Christ. There is only one way to get to heaven. There's only one way to come to know God, and that is through Jesus. And some people might think, well, that's a bit of a narrow way. It's a bit of a narrow, narrow-minded that there's no other ways to come to know Jesus. Well, the truth is, is that the reason that there's only one way to come to know God through Jesus is because Jesus is the only one that's ever dealt with the penalty of our sin. Jesus is the only one that's ever taken our payment for our sin so that we could be free. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Anyone is welcome. That's not narrow. That is wide. But there's only one doorway into the family of God, and that is through Jesus. Acts chapter 14, verse 12 says, There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. You know, all other other religions ask you to do more. You to jump higher. You've got to do more. You've got to achieve more. Even separate from religion, just in living in the world. We get overwhelmed with you're not good enough. You need to get fitter. You need to try harder. You need to jump more. You need to do, 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 do more. And it just feels overwhelming sometimes. This, this, is, this is the way of the world. But, but God comes in an opposite posture. He comes and He says, I've already done for you through Jesus. There's nothing more that you need to do to add to grace apart from what I've already done for you through Jesus on the cross. It is done. It is finished, Jesus said. And then E, G-R-A-C-E. Grace extends into all eternity. You know, sometimes some people think, well, I've been forgiven for my sins up until this point. I've got to keep and maintain perfection from now on. 
Well, the truth is God's grace reaches from the past into the present, into the future. And in a way, that it's well, that can't be the case. Well, let me tell you, it is true that God's grace covers you the breadth and the width of your life. Grace doesn't necessarily mean then that we go, okay, well, we'll do what we want when we want. Because when you encounter the grace of God, then you are changed on the inside. You're transformed on the inside. Titus chapter 2, verse 11, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It, or the grace of God, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. How to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. It's, it's grace that leads us to want to, out of our delight and a response to God, say, God, how can I live in a way that honours you, that says, I love you, back to God? You know, it makes me think of the story where that woman was caught in adultery. This woman was caught in the very act of breaking the law. Thou shalt not commit adultery. And there she was. She was caught in the act and she was brought before Jesus. But Jesus said to her in the end, He said, Woman, where, where are your accusers? Where are your accusers that all dropped their stones and left? And he says, neither do I accuse you. And she tasted grace opposite to what she thought she would taste at that moment. She thought she would be, she thought she was dead. She thought that these stones would come and hit her. Sometimes we can think that that's what God is like. God, I've done this. And you expect a few stones. You expect to, to do a bit of payment. Maybe a bit of time and my sin will be, will be dealt with. But she came face to face with God himself in flesh. And Jesus said, I don't accuse you. And tonight, Jesus says to you, I don't accuse you. I don't condemn you. But then he said to her, as she encountered that grace, as she was filled with the love of God, God said to her, go and go, go and sin no more. Go and, and, and change the direction of your life. You know, Romans says that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance, to change our mind about who God is. When we experience the grace of God, we begin to change our mind and go, God, you're, you're not out there to get me. You're a God that forgives me, that sets me free. And I begin to change my mind about who God is, that rather than doing more, I can just receive what He's already done for me. And now the way that I live is I just delight to live for Him. I just delight to become more like Him. I just delight to live my life in a way that will bring honour to God's name. And I'd love just to end tonight just by, by praying for us. I just really want to pray tonight, especially for those that just continuously feel in that place of condemnation. You just continuously have that sense that I, I just don't cut it. I just, I, just, I just don't cut it. It's too exhausting. And tonight, God just wants to set you free from that, from that burden that you carry in your heart. I know what it's like. It can be so exhausting. The joy can be sucked out of life. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes in your life, but I know God does. And He stands here tonight and says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He doesn't accuse you, but He simply says, will you receive a fresh wave of my grace? I'm gonna, he says, come to me. Anyone come to me, but I love you too much to leave you where you are. He loved the woman of caught in adultery. Come to me as you are, even in the middle of it. But He loved her too much to leave her where she was. 
You know, you come to Jesus how you are, exactly as you are, mess and all, right now, coming to Him. And He says, I don't accuse you. I don't accuse you. So right now, why don't we close our eyes across this place? Maybe right now you just want to consider in a moment. Consider those things that weigh you down. Especially the, the accusation. The accusation that doesn't, that either comes from yourself or the accusation that's come from others or the accusation, to be honest, that comes from the devil, from the enemy that just wants to exhaust you. But tonight, Jesus wants to lift that off you. He wants to lift off that condemnation from your life that you can be lifted from that law you can be lifted from that bondage and lifted high in the sky to soar above, to soar above it all. Thank you, God. Right now, Lord God, we just come to you across this room and for those that are watching and listening online, right now, God, we, we bring you these burdens. We bring you these lists. We bring you these accusations. We bring you these feelings of being condemned and, and not good enough. But I just thank you, God, that because of your love for us, Lord, you have already done. You have already done everything and there's nothing left for us to do but to receive. And so right now, Lord God, in Jesus' name, I come against the power of accusation. I come against the enemy who wants to accuse, Lord. I come against the lie that says that we need to add something extra to grace. Lord, but I thank you for the truth of your freedom. Lord, that says there are no additives to grace. We don't want to fall from grace, Lord. We don't want to fall away from it, but we come back to it tonight. And tonight, Lord God, I thank You for Your forgiveness for every single person here, God. I thank You for a fresh wave of Your forgiveness. Right now, would You just lift that weight off? Lift that weight off every single person's heart, Lord God. And I thank You for freedom. I thank You for freedom in Jesus' name. The bill is paid and we are free in Jesus' name.